Hello, and welcome back to the Bold Ambition podcast with me, your host, Ingrid Garcia. Today, we are joined by the charismatic and bold Nere Sanchez, also known as Denise. But before we jump in, let's discuss this week's bold move. If you listened to last week's episode, you'll know that Amira challenged me to be bolder and more confident at work, and that's exactly what I did. After our conversation, I made it a goal to show up more at meetings and in today's America that is, you know, turning on your Zoom camera and maybe unmuting your mic. I asked questions to clarify doubts that I had. I think I'm the type of person that'll do the work and, you know, do the research, put in the hours, put in the time, but won't follow up for feedback. And if you don't ask for that feedback, I think that's kind of on you. I also reached out to my coworkers to ask if they wanted to meet up for an outdoor happy hour. And that's something that I'm usually too shy to ask because no one wants to be that coworker. But I ended up having the best time with them, and it helped me overcome the working from home fatigue. I'm also the type of person that wants a really good relationship with her coworkers because, you know, we see each other every day, we converse every day. And in the office, it was easy for me to get that social aspect. But obviously, I can't do that from my living room. So I felt like someone had to go out of their way to make sure that we're all staying connected and productive at the same time. Another realization that I had this week as I prepped for this episode is that I need to be better at documenting my days. During the week, I had many moments where I said, oh my gosh, that'd be a great bold move to discuss on the podcast. And then come recording time, my mind goes blank. I'm in a good habit of verbally practicing gratitude and taking in all of these small moments of my day but I think this should be a habit that I bring onto paper. I love making lists and I love writing down small affirmations, things like that that don't take up too much time. But I think because of this podcast, I'm going to have to start making time to document my bold moves, the thoughts that I have during the week, just so I can create a better experience for the bold ambition. So Nonetheless, we have a great episode ahead with my dear friend, Nere Sanchez. I have known Denise for three years now, and she has just been a really big light in my life, especially when it comes to owning my Latina identity, learning more about my own culture, and just being a confident woman in today's America. So, Nere, I really thank you for taking the time and being here on my podcast, The Bold Ambition. Hi, everyone. I'm really, really excited. Uh, this is just such an amazing project for you, and I'm just um, just really happy to be included in honor. Well, first of all, let's just go over. I'm going to be calling her Nere over the whole podcast because that's what <laughs> I call her. That's what her family calls her, but then her friends call her Denise, so we'll go back and forth. I think I was 19 when I met her, and I'm now about to be 23. So it's been over three years, and and I think we've just both seen each other grow so much. Especially, I don't know. I feel like we're just we were just in completely different phases in our life when we met. And I just want to talk to her about about her Latina identity and her life as she moved to the U.S. and then back to Mexico and then to the U.S. And I'll just kind of let her tell her story about her 
I guess immigration, but but more about her assimilating and moving back and forth between the two countries. I think definitely that conversation of growing in different places. It's something that we need to just normalize and talk about more because at some point in your life, I'll I'll start creating um, or having all these questions of who I am as a person, right? Or um, am I, how I identify myself? Um, And it's, you know, I think it's all part of the journey at the end of the day. So um, yeah, I moved here. I moved to Austin uh, in back in 2010. Um, yeah, it's been 10 years. I can't believe it's wow. 10. It's been 10 years. Yeah, but the first time we moved to the US, I was 16. Um, so, you know, those are very, I would say, very interesting years. As a girl in high school, you're still trying to figure out who you are and trying to figure out your group of friends. So it was quite the it was quite the change, to say the least. So, yeah, then I, I lived in the U.S. for a year. Um, and then I moved back to Mexico to finish my, my senior year. Uh, and then at the end of that, I moved back again and moved to Texas. Can I ask you why, why did you choose to go back to Mexico and finish that? Se- like, you only had one more year left, so why not stay in the U.S. and finish that year? Yeah, you know, now that I look back, I think it may just have been fear, out of fear. You know, when you're 16, 17, it's one of those situations that you still have lots of fears and insecurities, or at least I had. And um, at the end of the day, it was up to me, right, to make that decision. Um, I decided to go back because I think I felt like I could go back to what was comfortable, Um, Maybe I just didn't challenge myself enough to just say, I'm going to stay here and go along with it. But I also didn't, I remember not feeling it. It's just not going well. It just doesn't feel, again, like home, doesn't feel right. Um, You know, I was just used to being an all-A student. Um, I was so involved in my school. I was taking advanced classes. Um, back in Mexico, um, you know, I had already applied for big universities. And so I think my plan was just, it was a big shock. So when I, the year that I studied here in the U.S. was just a big change because I felt like they pushed me back on a lot of my classes. So I think that also impacted just my um, my self-esteem and just knowing that I was smart, right? So, yeah, um, it was mostly the academics of it that I didn't feel comfortable because they just thought that because I was coming from Mexico, maybe I was not, you know, at the level of uh, public education here, even though I had gone to um, private, private school. No, yes. Let me let me tell you, I have also firsthand experience in that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I studied my first two years in Mexico in San Luis Potosí. And the first two years of high school were studied there. I moved back to Texas uh, for, as a junior. I was supposed to be a junior and they wanted to hold me back two years so I was mm-hmm. gonna start as a freshman like start from scratch and it and it was crazy like I don't understand why they view an education in Mexico less than because it, I, that was one of the best educations I've ever gotten in my life and I and I just had such a hard time 
accepting it. So instead, I dropped out and got my GED, <laughs> as you know, and took another yeah. route. I had to. Like, I had to take another route. I wasn't going to graduate high school at 20 or 21. So, right. So, yeah, I guess it makes sense. It makes it definitely makes sense for you to just go back. So, what was the transition like whenever you went back to Mexico? Were they just like accepting of you? Like, was how yeah. was that? So interestingly enough, um, when I moved back, um, I didn't, I didn't look into when the starting date was. So I remember going to the school on a Friday thinking that, oh, you know, I mean, it should be fine. Cause I had to email my, the principal and he was just like, oh my gosh, we'll be so happy to have you back. So anyway, I go on a Friday and, um, it's the last week of August, I think. And then you know, I, I go with my dad and I, I talk to the principal and he's like, well, okay, so can you be here Monday? Because, you know, I took care of all my paperwork. And I was like, wait, school already started? He's like, yeah, we started on Wednesday. So, um, you know, I started that Monday and from there, uh, my senior year was the best year of school I've ever had in my entire life. Of course, after college, there were great years, but um my senior year was just amazing and it just challenged me in so many ways. And, and, you know, when I think back to that, just that experience, I don't think I would have done it any other way because I'm really proud of just the decisions I made. And I felt like it just made me more confident. It's just, um, I worked really, really hard my senior year. Again, I had very, very, um, it just, it just allowed me to go back to the plans that I had, even though none of those plans worked out at the end. You know, I was working towards something and I just felt like they were, I had a supportive system. Like in my school, you know, back in Oaxaca, everybody was so supportive. So I think I needed that. I needed, I needed those people around me to believe in me where that year that I, that I studied here in the U.S., I, I just didn't feel that same support. Can you talk more about your experience in an American high school First of all, like, were you the only Latina? Were you one of few? Mm-hmm. Were there? Were you surrounded by many? Were, was yeah. there a community? Like, I don't know. I feel like schools in Mexico do a really good job of making everyone feel like family and mm-hmm. looking out for one another. And in high school, you're just thrown into a sea of students, of thousands of students, and mm-hmm. you're just you're just another name. You're just another number. So, is that what you yeah. felt as well, or how did how was your experience? Now that I, I guess I put some thought into it, um, there were different factors that definitely influenced my experience that one year in high school here in the U.S. First of all, geographically, we were in um, in Indiana, right? And it's the northern state, and then we landed in this very small town. That was one of the biggest factors that influenced our experience there because my brothers also attended those schools but what happened is it was a very small town and you know three there were three towns that share the same high school uh it was mostly white um students there were a few other kids that i remember that were from el salvador i think or at least their parents and i believe we were the only Mexicans, right? Maybe there were like two more, but the Hispanic or Latino population was almost non-existent. And fortunately, I don't think we experienced any racism or anything against us. 
necessarily, but, but, but there was a sense that we also weren't super welcome or supported. We didn't feel like we were supported. You know, the teachers were nice to everybody as any teacher can be like, but I didn't think that they went like that extra mile to make sure that, for example, I felt welcome or, or, or making sure that I was, I, I could take care of all my classes. Because again, this was the first year that I, I literally had to learn everything in English. And, you know, there were some classes when they first put me, gave me my schedule. Um, again, I, I was just held back in a lot of classes where back in Mexico, I, I was ready for pre-calc. And when I moved here, they put me in pre-algebra. I think, I don't know. It was just like, like three classes behind. I just felt really conflicted and just disappointed that I wasn't really getting that support to make sure that I was taking the courses that I needed. And of course, um, that they believed that I knew all this stuff. Right. And, and now, now I know that, you know, you can test out of things here. There are so many resources to make sure that, that again, they validate whatever you already bring from another, another place. So back, back then, I mean, I, I didn't know. I tried my best to talk my way out of these classes. And so the second semester, I ended up uh, doing pre-calc on my own. Basically, I was studying. I was learning two semesters in one. And I just did it on my own. So again, it, it was just one of those things that I didn't feel supported. And when it comes to the social aspect of, you know, school, in this small town where, you know, there's really not a Latino community. I think it was very, it wasn't, it wasn't very hard because at the time, I don't think I was aware that I was different, that I was that different. Back then, I mean, I was a teenager. I just wanted to fit in, to be honest with you. I just wanted to fit in and be like the other girls. So I joined the volleyball club or the team. I joined, I played all the sports. I played basketball, I tried out for softball, didn't make it. But, you know, I was trying to get as involved as possible because I thought that would get them to like me and feel like one of them, right? So I think I did my best to try to, to, try to participate, to try to, to assimilate. But I think I was more assimilating their lifestyle. I was trying to be like them. Uh, I don't think I realized that I had to keep my identity because I knew how I was, right? I knew where I was from and I was always proud of it, but I wasn't really an advocate for continuing that or bringing basically my Mexicanness to them. It was more like, okay, I'm Mexican, but I want to be like you. Um, but I, I think, I think that's just part of being a teenager. You're still trying to figure out your identity. Uh, but now that I look back, I can see how, like I said, the Latino community was non-existent in this, in, the, in these towns, and or if it was, it wasn't really celebrated or um, or welcomed. Yeah, it was mostly white. And like I said, there were most of these people were really nice to me. But you know, mm-hmm. from the hello, how are you? That's about it. And at what point did you feel like? you finally were like, okay, like that switch came on and you were like, wait, I am different and I am actually going to start owning it. Or was it a process? Like what was your journey and experience as someone who, you know, was a teenager, entered this American high school, went back to Mexico, came back, and then Mm -hmm. you did your college here. But like, yeah, at what point did you, did that switch come on? 
the reason so it, earlier I said how I, I didn't regret going back to Mexico to finish my high school year I, I felt really proud of myself I felt like I could do anything right to me it was a little boost of confidence actually to go back and forth I remember even talking to my professors back in Oaxaca when I went back to my school they were like oh my gosh tell us about your experience and basically quote unquote I went back home now it was more of a an experience like like something I did so I think it just helped me like again in my English classes it, it was just better it, it just made my senior year better it, it definitely helped with my confidence so that when I moved back so when I moved to Texas I felt a little more empowered that I could if I did it once you know I can do it again Although I have to mention, when I moved to Texas, I was supposed to just be here for like a month or two. I was just visiting. And I loved Austin so much that I ended up staying. Um, that was not in my plans. Uh, that was definitely not my career plan or, and, or life plan whatsoever. But eventually, you know, you, I think you just have to be flexible and, you know, just go with it and say, well, let's see how this goes, and then we'll figure it out from here. It was that first year that I lived here that first I had to, you know, get used to a new life, a new city, you know, a newish country where um, I had to learn, you know, as a 19, 18-year-old, you know, you start seeing the real world, right? You start paying taxes and, you know, getting a bank account and having to buy a car and getting a job, a real job, uh, working full time. When it comes to my identity, I felt like that first year was really hard because not only did I have to figure out who I was in a new country again, uh, but as an adult. And I also had to deal with all the adult things, all the, right, all the little boring stuff um, as an adult. So I, I felt like there were different parts of me that I had to different, yeah, different and different. I had to grow in many different aspects, professionally, um, emotionally, career wise, just I had to figure out how to grow in all parts of my life. Um, I finally made it to college, went to UT and I loved my major. I think that's when I started realizing that not only was I different, but also I was a woman. So I studied economics and most of these classes, um, you know, you do the basics and UT is a huge school. And of course, you know, I, that's what I love about it, that you see people from all around the world and it's amazing. So it doesn't make you feel like you're different or you don't belong there. Um, on the contrary, you know, they make you feel like you belong there because everybody that made it to that school belongs there. So it wasn't until I took my upper classes, upper, um, more of the major classes that I started to realize that, you know, I would go to statistics class or any other class that it was mostly men. It was mostly white men, right? And all these classes. And I felt intimidated. So I feel like Whenever you asked the question earlier, going back to your question, how did I start? When did it click? I think it started with realizing that I'm a woman in a field that it's normally not for women. And I think that's where that little, that little click, right? There was something that ignited in me. I was like, I'm sorry. Am I the only girl in here? 
and sometimes there was just one or two other girls, but it was mostly men. And then I came to realize not only am I the only girl, I'm probably the only person of color in this classroom. So it did intimidate me at first because I didn't feel as confident to raise my hand or ask questions because sometimes I would feel like, is everybody really getting this? I have no clue what we're, ha- what we're talking about. You know, I would ask some guys later, like, hey, did you guys understand? They're like, no clue. And I'm like, okay, so <laughs> we're on the same boat. But anyway, again, it was, it was during college that I started realizing that something was happening. First of all, that most women don't go and study economics. And second of all, that people of color rarely go into, I mean, at least in my major and in my classes, I didn't see people of color. So I kind of felt proud of, of that at the, towards the end, right? I think that's where my journey started with my identity because it was really hard after college to try to figure out who I was and what my place was in society, in this world, in the universe, et cetera, et cetera. I think my identity as a Latina, as a Mexicana, as a Oaxaqueña goes hand in hand with being a woman, with fighting for all women, for always looking for ways and, and advocating for us women to band together and move forward and go places where we've never been. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I can, I can truly attest that that is the way that like you live your life. And I think that even just one example, fast forward to 2019, Nere and I are at the club <laughs> and we're drinking, I don't know, we're having fun and we just start talking about she's she's had the idea to start a book club she's and i'm like wait i have like a lot of latina friends who could who would love to join and she has a good network of latina friends so we put up this poll on instagram it's like a little boomerang of us (laughs) and we're like would you like to join our latina book club and then you know we put yes no and we actually we got a good amount of responses so I would love for you to just talk about like why you started that Latina book club, why you felt like it was needed, especially like, I don't know, the conversations that we have at book club are some of the best conversations that I have with women um, because we're just, that's what we're there for. We're there to open up. We're there to be vulnerable, especially yeah. as, as women of color. If we say maybe we don't have those spaces in our life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So whenever we, the Latina book club idea came about, you know, I think it was also part of, part of myself wanting to grow. I was looking for ways to grow and I thought, okay, well, I have to read more. And finally I can read books other than college books, right? Study books. So, so it, it started like that. And then I figure, well, would it be great if I had a group of friends that I could talk to about this book? or just people that were interested in the book. So I started doing some research, but I was like, I want to have like Latina friends that I like, like to read because, because I don't know any other book clubs. So anyway, so I go on and Google Latina book clubs in Austin, Texas. <laughs> and there was one of older women. When I say older, I think they're like moms, maybe, because I think it said something about we're a group of moms or something like, like that. Um, but it was like really far away from me. And so I, I really didn't feel, find anything. And I, I did a little bit of research and I just thought, well, why don't I just create my own book club? <laughs> so to me, it sounded like an exciting thing. So 
I love creating, having new projects, having new things, and I love hosting. I love talking. I'm getting better at listening as well. And so I talked to Ingrid about this and I said, hey, you know what I've been thinking? I really want to get a, like a Latina book club. And so that, what I would like to also um, share is that we didn't want to just create a book club, right? When I said earlier that my Latina identity goes hand in hand with being a feminist, right? And fighting for fighting or advocating for women altogether in all aspects of life, just so we have better opportunities. I also um, started doing research and all, all this belief, these beliefs led me to finding that Latina writers, you know, 10 years ago, they were, they were just not encouraged to write. As Latinas, I feel like we are passionate and we're smart and we can accomplish anything, but we always, we kind of need that little push from someone. And so, and you know, then we also need people to see our work, right? Whether you're an artist, you're a writer, you, you're a business owner, you, you need that group of people that support you by looking at you, by buying your products, by reading, by listening to your music, by all these things. So anyway, um, for the Latina book club, I, I was looking for Latina writers and I just saw that, first of all, there were not that many Latina writers out there or Mexicanas. And then the ones that were out there, you know, they were, their books were in on every bookstore. Um, and so I thought, well, what better way than support women like us than by reading their books? So Latinas Read, that's the name of the book club. We basically try to read Latina women, right? And here and there we'll read another author, maybe an African-American author, uh, but it's mostly to support Latinas like us because they're the voices that are out there that have gone through the experiences that we have, we are, that we are experiencing right now. And this is why we've had such great conversations because we have read, I am not your perfect Mexican daughter. And we can totally just see ourselves in this, you know, in, in the characters experiences, which brings us to talking about immigration, talking about the Mexican culture, talking about machismo, talking about being, again, coming from a different country, moving here, trying to learn a new language. So all these beautiful things. This is why I love my Latina book club, my Latinas at the book club, because I think they feel like it's a safe space to talk about all these topics. And that's what I wanted. I wanted us to just have somewhere, right? Have a, have a space that we can just say, oh my gosh, I've been thinking the same thing. Or like, yes, I have been told too that I'm exotic because, you know, I'm a person of color. Or I don't know, we have so many good conversations and again, we support each other. I think even if, even if the only thing they get out of the book club is that someone is listening to them, I think that's a win. It's so interesting that you say that we are finally able to see ourselves in media, in, in any sort of media, like a book or a movie or a podcast, because like, that's crazy. Like some of us are, you know, later 20s, early 20s, and it's, it's only until now that we're able to see ourselves in a book, in a character, and mm -hmm. have, feel like our feelings have been felt before. I'm just thinking like, it's crazy because if you go to a movie theater, not now COVID, but if you go to a movie mm -hmm. theater and you go and watch any movie, you're not going to feel that way 
maybe the white person next to you understands the movie and like will feel the movie differently than you do because they lived that but we didn't and don't get me wrong there's I can still appreciate all of that good media and movies Mm -hmm. but it but like you said it is nice to not be the only Latina in a conversation there Mm -hmm. are multiple times of my life where I am the only Latina in in a classroom or at work or anywhere really in the store and just trying to buy groceries so I think it's interesting for all of us to take all of our different experiences and just be vulnerable and share share what we've all been thinking and feeling but haven't had the conversations about one of the goals too I've been seeing it I think the more the more we feel connected I feel like as a human being, human beings, they just need to feel that connection, that sense of community. So it's just like a trickle effect because they feel that sense of community. They feel heard, right? They feel like someone's listening. They discover other girls in our case, right? Other women that have been through that or have experienced the same situation or similar. And and they just don't feel alone anymore. And I feel like eventually it just creates this sense of first belonging. And then I think it helps again with your identity because then because you feel like you belong somewhere, you feel more capable of doing things. Earlier you say like the only person in the room or I'm just going to give you a silly example. The only person at the pool. Have you ever been the only Latina at the pool or Mexicana at the pool? I have just a couple of weeks ago. I think I was the only girl of color there. I didn't feel any less. I was probably, you know, I, 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 felt, I felt happy that we could all just be in the same place and I didn't have to be less loud because I'm a very loud person sometimes. That's just how I speak. So, you know, I didn't have to feel like, oh my gosh, am I talking too loud? I was playing music, you know, being respectful, but, you know, I can still play my J Balvin or Bed Bunny in the background and just be like, woo, you know, this is great music and not feel ashamed or anything that the rest of the people might look at me weird. Because what I have learned is that I am allowed to take up space. I am a person too. I am allowed to be there. Not just allowed, I have the right to be there. I have the right to be, just to be me. So Again, it's thanks to all these conversations we've had and all, all these books. Um, I think the books are just a great conversation started and starter and um, the ideas that we get. And I just, again, I just love that we can, we can just have all these feelings and express them and talk about them and be like, oh, thank God, <laughs> I'm not the only one. And for me, I think it has helped me answer this question that I've had for the past 10 years where I keep saying, because, you know, I grew up in Mexico for 16 years and I've been here for 10 years. So it's, you know, right about half the time of what I remember. Right. So I keep thinking, well, keep people keep asking me, well, where are you from? And I said, well, I live here, (laughs) but if you really want to (laughs) know, I grew up in Mexico Oh, so, so you're from there. I'm like, well, I've lived here for 10 years. And, and this question kept going in my head. Well, where are you from, really? Neda, you have to make up your mind. Are you a Mexicana? Are you, what are you? I'm all the things. Now I can say I'm everything. I'm all the things. But most importantly, I used to say, well, es que no me siento. I don't feel like I'm ni de aquí, ni de allá. 
neither from here nor there, right? Ni de aquí ni de allá. And I've, I've heard more of this conversation through media, through Instagram, through Facebook. More people are voicing that out and saying, guys, I have this question in my identity. Where am I from? Ni de aquí ni de allá. So where I'm from? I think we're answering back and saying, no, I'm from here and there. And that's the beauty of being Mexican-American, of being Guatemalan-American, of being Latino, Hispanic, whatever, that you can be from all places. You can still hold on to your culture, hold on to the good, good things, because we have so many good things, and, and let it be part of you and never, never stray away from that again, right? Keep it with you because that's your foundation. And then again, just take whatever it's good from, the American culture and make it part of you because you are all that you're all those things right and you don't have to you don't have to just say well I'm just this I'm, I'm just Mexicana or I'm just Latina and Latina can mean anything really you know you can be from all places you can be from all walks of life now I like to say soy de aquí y de allá yeah that's beautiful I think you say it so gracefully and you I would like for you to give advice to any other young Latina out there or older Latina out there mm-hmm. who is struggling to owning with their owning their identity, balancing that bicultural life. Like, what would you say to them to help them kind of understand that, yes, you're different, but you deserve to be here? I would say it's a journey. Um, it's going to take time. And I think it's going to take some reflection. I've definitely spent lots of time journaling about this and just writing out my my questions. So I think questioning yourself, but keep something in mind. I like to think that we are here because of the people that came before us. Think about your ancestors. Think about your grandparents. Think about your parents. At the end of the day, we're here because of them because they made choices. They, you know, and we ended up here. So I think it's important to not forget those who came before us, right? Not necessarily where you come from, right? Because your parents, your grandparents could have moved so much, but think about them as people. Think about those who came before you and just take it into account because it's going to make you realize that you have come a long way. You know, you, you, whatever part of your journey you're in, you know, it's been your journey. And so just be proud of that, that you've come a long, long way from all those people before you. And then I would just say it's your community, just really finding, finding those women that have probably, that can share those experiences like yours. Like Ingrid was saying earlier, thankfully with media, now we're finally seeing women rise up to the occasion, right? And we have Latinas, Mexicanas, we have a Oaxaqueña that starred in an Oscar-winning movie. We have different producers. Mostly, it's mostly in media, right? But I feel like little by little, we are taking up our seat at all these tables. We're taking up our space, but it's also for us. So I would say, ask yourself questions and really try to dig in. And if you were saying, I don't have an identity, okay, well, ask yourself questions because that's the only way that you're going to start looking for the answers. 
it's part of the journey. So nobody's already, nobody's going to say, well, my identity, I know what my identity is. Because every day you're going to find something new about yourself and who you are as a Latina, as a Mexican-American, as a, you know, Mexicana, uh, Venezolana, from wherever you are or wherever you consider part of your soul to be. And this is why I love Nere, because honestly, when I when I met her, I was in that position where I was like discovering myself. I was discovering who I wanted to be. And I was taking like Chicana feminism and, you know, these women's issues classes at school. And that's when I was exposed to the theories and books of Latinas who came before me who lived what I'm living. And mm-hmm. it, and like you said, it made me feel like, wait, this is how, I'm not the only one. And when mm-hmm. I met Nere, I was in that discovery phase. I mean, I guess us humans, we're always in a discovering phase of ourselves, mm-hmm. but, but she, I think she really helped me just maybe, maybe feel more comfortable speaking Spanish. Or even if I just listened to her speaking Spanish, like it's in, or speaking Spanglish, like I was like, it's okay to, <laughs> to juggle both. It's okay to just embrace both cultures and just be everything at once. Going back to the pool, like me and Nita have had many pool days where we'll go from Latino music, we'll have our Mexican food, but then we'll also just like enjoy conversations about, about American media or the latest Netflix show that is like American Mm -hmm. produced like we just take it all in and I think that's Mm -hmm. just that's what's just so beautiful about being able to live and experience life through both cultures I'm so I'm so glad for to have you in my life I mean you are you are the sister that I don't have but if anything what you just said why can't we be everything all at once why can we we can yes we can (laughs) just let it be Unless, unless your job depends on it, where, you know, you really have to communicate the right thing to people. But otherwise, I'm just saying that that's who you are. You're all the chilito, you're all the English, Spanish words, all the, we just read that book, you know, Corazon. And I just felt like I found my lost love for mangoes. I feel like having, coming from such a rich culture, allows you to embrace all the things and everything. Growing in the culture that I grew in is allowing me to just see that everything is beautiful, no matter where it comes from, no matter who it is. Be all the things. That's in her Instagram bio. Speaking of, go ahead and share <laughs> where we can like find you, your Instagram, Latinas Read Instagram, everything. Sure. Yeah. So you guys can follow the Latina Book Club is on Instagram is at Latinas, Latinas Read, um, R-E-A-D, because Latinas do also read. <laughs> you know, we not just party, we also read. Um, <laughs> and then uh, my personal Instagram is just S-N-C Denise. Um, and, you know, I just like to share fun things in life and just how colorful or not colorful life can be sometimes. Thank you so much, Nere, for having, for taking the time to be here again and for just dropping your Latina wisdom on us because (laughs) this is a great way to open up the podcast and just establish that Latinas do take up space and Mm -hmm. we're here to claim that space and we're going to own it. So no, thank you for having me and to, you know, Echele Ganas, Latinas, 
todas pueden, nosotras podemos también. That's all I can say and, you know, love to all and thank you so much, Ingrid. I love you. Love you. <laughs>